In this special In Conversation episode of This is the Author, Joe Posnanski, author of Why We Love Baseball, chats with his co-narrator and friend, Ellen Adair. Listen in as they talk about how baseball brought the two of them together, their experiences recording Joe's book, and the communal aspect of America's favorite pastime. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Joe Posnanski, author of Why We Love Baseball. I wrote this book because I love baseball. The opportunity to write a book where I could go back through baseball history and revisit the most magical moments in the game, it's a dream. When I was a child, I used to go to the library and I would wait and hope that a new baseball book or a new sports book would be there waiting for me. And I wrote a book that I wished would come in to the library when I was a kid. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook, the word would be exhausting. I was prepared for it to be difficult. I've written several books before this, and I've never recorded any of them. And I've heard the stories of how much more difficult it is than you would expect and how draining it can be. But I was still pretty taken aback by how tiring it was. I would come home at the end of a recording session, and even though it felt like all I had been doing was sitting and talking all day, I would just fall asleep. I was so tired at the end. But it was so rewarding. I don't know that I fully anticipated how rewarding it would be to read my words and have them come out. And I didn't want this book to just be my voice and my words. So I was so lucky and so happy that I talked one of my dearest friends in the world, Ellen Adair, into reading certain sections of this book. And to me, it makes the whole book that Ellen's voice is there. It's like we have a professional part of this book that is read by, you know, a true professional and a great actor. And then we have my part of the book, which is read with passion by the author. And I love the combination. And I'm sitting here in the audio booth with my dear friend, Ellen Adair. So that's very exciting for me. <laughs> So, Ellen, that was my experience reading the audiobook. What was your experience like? Well, first of all, for the record, I did not have to be remotely cajoled into <laughs> reading your book. I would have read 10 versions of your book in a row. So for me, if I had to put it to one word, and I'm not just saying this, it just would have been fun. It was so much fun to read your book. We were talking a little bit about this before, and I was not remotely tired at all while reading the book. I felt so much energy at the end of it. I was like, yeah, like I'm ready to read a whole nother book or like run through a wall or something. And then I did go home and be like, what am I going to get done? <laughs> and yeah, completely crashed. So it is very tiring. But while I was doing it, it was just nothing but a romp. So much fun. And also there's so many moving stories in there as well to be able to inhabit those moments was such a treat. And this was so meaningful to me to get to read your book because obviously I love baseball so much. My brand is Unhealthy Love of Baseball. And we actually met on Twitter. I don't even remember exactly what year, maybe it was 2018, 2019, when Eloy Jimenez, it was going to be my first chance to see him 
I'm a Phillies fan, so it was just random that I was just excited to see Aloy Jimenez at a White Sox-Yankees game, and I, I made a tweet that somehow attracted your attention, and we became friends. Hooray. I don't have any memory of the Eloy Jimenez tweet. Like, to me, we've been friends forever, so I don't <laughs> even think about, like, sort of how it started. I do remember it starting on Twitter, but I don't remember why or what. But we were destined to become friends, we right? Were. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think the way you describe yourself as a baseball fan with your unhealthy love of baseball does not fully capture just how unhealthy your love of baseball is. It's so unhealthy. It's so unhealthy. And from somebody who has a similarly unhealthy love of baseball, you know, we were obviously matched up. But when I thought about this book, that's what this book is to me. This book to me is at the heart of what it is that we love about baseball and why we love this crazy game that's 150 years old and has been through so many, you know, issues and controversies and scandals and everything else, that we still love this game. You're always the first person I think of when I think about why we love baseball, because nobody I know loves the game more than you love it. And what I wanted when we first started talking about what this audiobook should be, to me, it had to feel authentic love of baseball. And that's not to in any way there are wonderful, wonderful actors out there and readers out there who would have done an amazing job with this book. There was never a question in my mind about that. But I wanted that authentic love of the game from, you know, something that I understood. And you were the person that came to mind. And of course, you're a wonderful actor with a beautiful voice and a wonderful sense. And I thought you'd be great at this anyway. And this is your first audiobook, right? It this, is. Yeah. 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 And so I thought you'd be great at this, and I was so excited, and writing the book was so solitary. You know, you're just in a room by yourself thinking about what's next and how you're going to do it and what you're going to write, and it's correcting and editing and fixing, and it's so, it's not lonely, but it's solitary. And I didn't want this book to feel solitary, because I think baseball is this communal thing that brings us together. To me, this is our friendship. When we get together, this is what we do. This is what we talk about. And and so I loved the idea of sharing this book with you. Well, you titled it Why We Love Baseball. This isn't why I love baseball. <laughs> it is literally, it's about the communal experience around love of the game. And, you know, I think something that I appreciate in the book so much is what a complete view of the game, not just Major League Baseball, but also including a lot of women in the book. I think many people would think a history of the game in 50 moments and there would not be any moments that include women. So including Chelsea Baker and Jackie... Mitchell, yeah. Jackie Mitchell, yeah. yes, who struck out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig in the book and Iris Skinner's story at the end, all of those kinds of things really make it feel like such an inclusive book. And of course, also including amazing things from Japanese baseball, you know, like Roki Sasaki with the two back-to-back no-hitters and and some stories also that I didn't know. I didn't know about ponderous Joe Bauman. Right. I, I didn't know about Nechai striking out 27 hitters. I didn't know these stories. And so it's so wonderful to feel how inclusive your book is. The intention for me was not to make it inclusive 
just to be inclusive, you know? The intention for me is, this is why we love baseball. This is all of us. And, you know, one of the things I think about all the time is that we always hear about baseball is dying. And there are plenty of facts you can point to about, you know, why the game is waning with young people or why there are fewer African-Americans in the game or all of these very weighty issues about the game. And I don't in any way downplay any of those. But at the same time, isn't the miracle that we care about this game still after 150 years? Like, what do we care about from 1881 in America, in a country where things change minute by minute at a time, not just in America, all around the world where things change so rapidly? What else do we love. They, they were playing baseball and leapfrog in 1882, <laughs> right? But baseball is still there. And so that was what mattered to me about it being really inclusive. And, you know, bringing you in to read the book, I think there'll be people who know you and people who know you understand how much you love the game and how important it is to you and how it's your life, really. I mean, acting and baseball, that's your life, right? But I think at the same time, people who don't know you aren't as familiar with you on MLB Network or on your podcast or whatever the case may be. They hear it in your voice. And the other cool thing about this book was, and I'd love to hear what you think about this, it's not divided into two parts, but it, it has two sort of intersecting things. So there's a countdown. It's a countdown of the 50 most magical moments in baseball history. That's the part I read. But in between the countdown, I did these little sections where I counted five funniest moments or the five most emotional touchstone moments. And those are the parts you read. And yes. once we figured that out, once we figured out this is the way to do it, I loved every part of this book. But in some ways, I loved those sections the most because... I had to really kind of put them together, you know? I had to really, one of my favorite sections is the five best barehanded plays because I knew I was going to include Ozzie Smith's great barehanded play in the book. And then I thought, I ought to have the five greatest barehanded plays leading into that moment to set you up for the excitement of the Ozzie Smith play. And there were two or three that came to mind, like Kevin Mitchell's play came Kevin to mind, yeah. right? I remember him overrunning the ball and catching it with his bare hand. And there's a very famous old play called The Lightning Catch that is in this book. There weren't five. <laughs> I had to work it to get five. But once I did all the research to try to get to five, it's like, I love every one of these moments. And so that to me, I was so happy that you read that part of the book. Yeah, I love them so much because I think it gave you the opportunity to put something in there that is very much why we love baseball, but might not be as historic of a moment as some of the other, the 50 moments. Because why we love baseball, it is the huge historic moments and it's also just, oh, I saw that and that was so cool or that was so funny. And something that I really love that you've done in this book is fit way more than 50 moments into it <laughs> in so many different ways. And partly that's kind of braiding different stories together, right? So you're talking about Chelsea Baker, but you also get to talk about the Negro Brothers or, you know, you're talking about Babe Ruth, but of course you're also going to talk about Roger Maris and Aaron Judge, things like that. But then also the different categories of five things, a real way to sneak some more things in there. Because I remember this moment 
when we were hanging out and you had a list that was like a hundred moments and you were like, how do I make this into 50 moments? And you did it. You're a magician. Yeah, but I did it by pretending that this book is about 50 moments, right? But meanwhile, just writing about all the moments in different places. It's all branding. It's all branding. Exactly right. So getting back to the audiobook, speaking of moments, the moment that was unquestionably the hardest for me was the moment that I had of Vince Scully making the incredible call of Sandy Koufax's perfect game. Because the way I did that was I actually used Vince Scully's words. I actually go through the entire final inning of Sandy Koufax's perfect game, and I go word by word what he said, which felt great as a writer. Because as a writer, you can feed off those words. As a reader, suddenly I had to read Vince Scully's <laughs> words, right? Like, And... What I found was I, the last thing in the world I wanted to do was a Vince Scully impression. Like, one, I'm not capable of that. And two, that's in poor taste. Like, just run Vince Scully's voice if you're going to do that. So I had to somehow embody Vince Scully without sounding like Vince Scully. But you also, I found, cannot read Vince Scully's words without sounding a little bit like Vince Scully. Like there's no, you know, it's like, and a million butterflies. There's no way to say it without sounding a little bit like Vince Scully. So I remember when I got to that section, it was like, oh my gosh, I forgot. I forgot that I'm going to have to do a Vince Scully chapter. So that was for me the most challenging thing. But what was for you? What was it? You know, it's funny. I think I felt similarly apprehensive, although, you know, because it wasn't my book, I maybe was thinking about the things I was going to need to do beforehand, about reading from A League of Their Own and Bull Durham, the very famous scenes, and also like doing both sides of the scenes in A League of Their Own. And then I just kind of went through and I did it in one take and it was fine. Like I thought, oh no, we're going to have to go back to this a million times. And, you know, I was concerned because like Tom Hanks is really tearing up his voice in that. <laughs> he's so good, but it's like not a theatrical performance. Like you could not sustain what he's doing to his voice. And I was like, I can't do what he's doing here and then read the rest of the audiobook. My voice is going to be torn up. And sort of similarly for the Bull Durham candlestick scene, which is, I think, perhaps my father's favorite scene in the history of cinema. Yeah. Yeah, I felt uh, a lot of pressure there. But I think what actually ended up being the most difficult was there's one moment where you use a bunch of comical punctuation for <laughs> swears, but then you have a great line that says something like, you know, or other comical punctuation to that effect. So I couldn't just say bleep, bleep, bleep. I had to read... <sighs> <laughs> the individual, you know, like ampersand, hashtag. And that was, I think, the most challenging thing in the entire read. I had, to, I had to go through and do that a couple of times. And also was surprised by Daisuke Inoue's name. I was like, oh, this is a name I do not know how to pronounce because there's so many other like baseball names that I just know because sure. they're baseball names. And then I was like, I don't even know who this person is. Oh, he invented karaoke. <laughs> yeah. So we had to stop in the middle and look up how to pronounce Dexake yeah, in a way. I love that that stopped you because that entire section about the guy who invented karaoke was Margot's. My wife, Margot, <laughs> actually read that and she like looked him up and tried to find out information about him. And so that ended up being a footnote. The footnotes were challenging for me on a couple of ways. One, where you put him in, because sometimes where you put him in 
in the book made sense as a reader, but did not make sense as a narrator. Like I would try to do it a little bit later or a little bit earlier. And then there were other times where I thought you can read the footnote anytime you want. As a reader, you read it like you want to read it right then and there. You can read it at the end of the paragraph. You can read it at the bottom of the page. You can read it whenever you want. But now I'm inserting like my opinion about when you should care about this. And I don't know if I'm breaking up the the narration at all. So that was challenging for me. Yeah, definitely. Our director for this, Kim, was very helpful for me in terms of figuring out where to put it. And I know that I was definitely trying to do some footnote acting, right? So that people could hear like, this is a parenthetical, right? But then sometimes it's really long. So I'm like doing the parenthetical acting. for the. Sometimes I would say footnote because I can't act. So I'm like, footnote, this is, here's my footnote for you. Oh, I should have said footnote. So Joe, Having had so much fun reading your different, you know, five moment sections, I have a new pitch Uh for five. It's not moments, but a category of five baseball things. Okay, let's hear it. So this is my five delightful real life pitcher characters. Okay. Number one, Rue Boidel. Yes. I, I mean, I could go on a long time about all of these pitchers, but I won't. Two, Satchel Page, whom you talk about in the book, but there's so many yes. delightful Satchel Page stories that do not appear in this particular book. Three, Bill Lee. Like, I don't want any composite of why we love baseball without Bill Lee being in there somewhere. Yes. Four, Roger McDowell. Of course. And five, Zach Greinke. Oh, well, of course, it breaks my heart to not have Zach Greinke, one of my all-time favorite people and pitchers in this book. I couldn't quite find a moment for him. Rue Baudel, there's so many moments. Somewhere in this book, I should have talked about Rue Baudel going to like, put out a fire or, or, you know, pick up players on his chest. He would have them stand on his chest. I mean, he like wrestled alligators. Alligators. He, but he, was also distracted in game by people who would hold up puppies. <laughs> maybe, my, maybe my next book might be only about Rue Baudel. My favorite fact is that his catcher, Aussie Shrekken Ghost, had put in his contract Rue Baudel cannot eat crackers in bed. <laughs> And also, he's like the all-time FIP leader. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, Rue Bladell contains multitudes. Yeah, multitudes. Yeah. All right, we could do this all day, and probably will <laughs> and after will. this we're, is over. That's what we're going to do Yeah, that's what we're going to do the rest of the day anyway. But we should wrap it up, and let's wrap it up by talking about audiobooks. Mm-hmm. I love audiobooks, and my favorite place to actually listen to audiobooks, like everybody listens in a car, I guess. I like going out on walks and just listening to audiobooks. When I go out on walks, I don't like listening to music. I don't know why, but for some reason, listening to music does not make the walk seem shorter or easier. Like, you know, I'm like going to go walk a mile and a half or two miles, and the music sort of makes it feel like 10 miles for some reason. (laughs) But I'm like, I love listening to audiobooks. I listen to Michael Lewis's most recent book, and it just, just delightful. Sorry. What about you? You know, I have sort of a similar answer. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is probably on walks with my dog. Okay. Because it makes the rather predictable environs of a dog walk more exciting. But also, and this is a very lame answer, but probably the place that I most often listen to audiobooks is in my bathroom because... I have curly hair in real life, but frequently for my job, I have to straighten it. And it takes a long time. (laughs) 
And it's such a great thing to be able to listen to an audiobook while I'm doing this stupid thing that I hate. So you can listen to a whole book basically while straightening your hair. Yes, essentially. Yes. Over the course of a year, for sure. Well, I hope people love this. I hope people love not only the book, but I hope they love the way we've done the audiobook together. And now let's listen to a clip. I write these words in the afterglow. The Philadelphia Phillies and San Diego Padres just finished a wild and wonderful playoff game. You can still see the goosebumps on my arms. The Padres led the game by a run in the eighth inning. They were trying to extend the National League Championship Series. The Phillies, meanwhile, were trying to end it. Philadelphia fans were soaked. It had been raining pretty much the whole game, and they were hoarse and manic and utterly desperate for a hero. Up step Bryce Harper. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash next listen.